The reading this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, and can be found in the Pew Bibles on page 1064. John 2, verses 1 to 11. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into (coughs) wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you speak to us and we can hear. Would you speak to our hearts and minds in Jesus' name. Amen. So Lent began on Wednesday Ash Wednesday, and so we begin a new season in the church's calendar, six weeks that take us up to Easter. And traditionally, a time when we put aside time to be with God, we may consider giving something up. But in the recent years, um, there's been a few campaigns to say, rather than giving something up, why don't you think of taking something on? And it might be joining a new group or joining a group of Christians to to study together, or it might be looking out to be more generous and more kind to other people. There's one campaign called 40 Acts, where it suggests every day a blessing that you can enact to other people. So Lent has taken on different ways of being noted, and um, certainly when I was a child, it's very much sort of the penitential giving something up. But I felt it would be good during Lent to have a new sermon series and to think more on that more positive aspect of taking something on. And so we're going to look at what it means to be generous. What does it actually mean for us to live lives of generosity? And we're going to explore that over the next six weeks. I'm going to begin today with recognising first and foremost that we have a generous God. That everything we do comes from the fact that we have a God who is generous to us. And any act that we carry out is only in response to what we have received. So this isn't to us about being good citizens who are going to do good deeds. This is about us knowing who God is and responding accordingly. 
So we're going to work through some of the miracles in John's Gospel to help us with this, where we can actually explore what these miracles tell us about God. What do we learn about God from this miracle? What does this tell us about Jesus? What do we see Jesus doing? And how then might we respond? So our first one is the wedding at Cana. And if you want to have it open in front of you, it's page 1064. We're obviously only in chapter 2 of John's Gospel, so we're very near the beginning. And that is relevant as we go through. Because the first phrase is this, on the third day, a wedding took place. In another version it says, three days later. Three days later, something happened. So immediately we have to think, okay, what happened three days earlier? Well, three days earlier, Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel to be disciples. Two men who are encouraged to come alongside Jesus to follow him, to live with him. Only three days earlier has that happened. The day before that, four days earlier, the first disciples were called. And the day before that, five days earlier, Jesus was baptised. So this is really, really early in the ministry of Jesus. Five days after his baptism, having called the first disciples around him, Jesus is at a wedding. So if we think logically, we have to realise that the disciples at this stage don't know much about Jesus. And that's relevant. This is the first miracle. Jesus is there with his mother and his disciples, but they don't really know him. They've received a call and there's something in their heart that realises there's something about this man Jesus. But they haven't seen him teach, perform miracles, express love. This is new to them. But what is interesting is that his mother seems to know quite a bit about Jesus because she can sense that Jesus can solve the problem. She's the one that goes to Jesus and says, they've run out of wine. You can do something about this. And I've never really thought about this, but Mary, having grown up with Jesus, with Jesus having grown up with her as his mother, she has so much more insight at this stage as to who Jesus is. She had that revelation from the angel in the early days. But for about 30 years, she has seen him, lived with him, watched him. She knows much more about who he is than the disciples do. And her immediate response in this situation is, there's a problem here. And we know why it's a problem. You've heard this story many, many times. Middle Eastern culture where the wedding lasted many days The responsibility for providing the hospitality was down to the groom and his family and the shame if you didn't have enough food or drink. Anybody could turn up to these weddings. All the neighbourhood could just come in at any time and you needed to have enough. And if you didn't, the social stigma attached to that was phenomenal. So Mary feels for the family. They must know them reasonably well and says, Jesus, you can do something about this. And he responds, but my time hasn't yet come. Five days in to public ministry, and his mother wants him to perform a miracle. I feel like saying, oh, for heaven's sake, mother. Don't bother me. And yet, he does it. He carries out the miracle. The guests are fed. And some notice what has happened. And at the end of this um, little 
episode, it says this, the first of his miraculous signs Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. When John writes about miracles, he uses a word that's different to the other Gospels. He uses the word semia, which means signs. And he's telling us that these miracles are signs, are clues as to who Jesus is. There are seven of them in total in John's Gospel. The first two he marks and says, here you are, here's another clue. The others you have to work out for yourself. But he's giving us flags through his gospel to say here are the moments where you can investigate and explore who Jesus is. So sign number one, clue number one, who is this man and what does it tell us about Jesus? It's a miracle of abundance. There was no need to provide such high quality wine and yet Jesus does. It tells us that Jesus knows a God of abundance. A God of abundance that has been spoken about throughout the Old Testament, now seen in reality in the life of Jesus. It's also a miracle that can be explained away. The master of the ceremonies, the master of the banquet, he believes irrationally. There's no reason for him to think this is a miracle. He says, for heaven's sake, you've saved the best wine till last. That's incredible. Nobody does that. There's a rational explanation for this that those who haven't seen can explain it. And yet for those who have seen, they see something so much more. So there's something about reading the clues. And as we read backwards, which we are always doing when we pick up scripture, we are reading backwards because we know what happens. But we can see in this miracle a foretelling of what is to come. A foretelling of the unprecedented grace of Jesus that we see ultimately in the cross. A pouring out of love that is what we see in Jesus' life throughout and culminates in his death on the cross. An abundance of love. And we can also see a foretelling of the banquet in heaven as we get towards the end of the New Testament and particularly in Revelation. We see pictures of the banquet in heaven. This is a banquet. And we are being, a place is prepared for us to be at the banquet for eternity. So there is so much in this little episode And if we choose to see, we can rationalize it away or we can choose to see. And that was the option the disciples had. The first time, five days after they've met Jesus, my goodness me, their heads must have been blown away. What do they choose to see? They choose to see that God is a generous God. That that is seen and played out through the life of Jesus, who is full of grace, abundance and love. We worship a generous God. Let's take this a little step further and let's dig deeper into this miracle. We've laughed at Jesus' response to his mother, but there's something significant happening here. He changes his mind. It's not the right time, and yet he changes his mind. So, what does that tell us about Jesus? It tells us something of the nature of that generosity which puts people first. He considers others before his own self. He considers what the needs of those in that family are before his own timing, 
before his own plans, before his own desires. And we witness his compassion in an unexpected response. To quote Tom Wright, Tom Wright is a New Testament scholar, he says this, This is a moment when heaven is opened and the transforming power of God's love bursts into the present world. Isn't that beautiful? This is a moment when heaven is opened and the transforming power of God's love bursts into the present world. This was not the right time for Jesus. This was not part of his plans. The last thing he wanted to do was to reveal something of who he was. And yet his love and compassion for others came first. So generosity is about considering others first. So much in this short passage. We could go on and on and on. But I want to make some application now. What does this mean for us? If we know a generous, abundant God... How do we respond to others in the same way? How easy is it for us to lay aside our own needs, our own preferences, our own desires, in order to show generosity to others? How might we do that? What would it look like? In what areas of our lives can we show generosity? So many. Here are a few examples. We show generosity with our money, our possessions, with our time, with our support, both emotional and pastoral, in the way we encourage and affirm people, in opening up our homes and offering hospitality. The list could go on and on. But this is a huge challenge, especially when our lives are so full already, so many demands on our life. This can feel like yet another burden, the burden of generosity. Add that on to you today. Go away and feel guilty even more. That's not what it needs to be. Because if we believe that God is generous to us, if we believe that heaven bursts open and his transforming power is at work, that is at work in our lives. That we instinctively become more and more like Jesus. So our natural behavior, our natural response should flow from what we have received from God. And just imagine what that could look like if it changes bit by bit. It doesn't happen all at once, but throughout our lives, the transforming work of of Jesus in our lives, allowing us to be more generous as he is generous. With our money, with our possessions, thinking of us as a church, we are generous in what we give away, but what if we gave away more? How much more could we bless other people, other organizations, other people around the world if we considered what generosity could look like more and more as a church in giving from what we have received? What about as a church if we were more generous with our time? And I think in in this part of the country, that's one of our biggest challenges. To be generous with our time. That doesn't mean signing up for jobs at church. Don't hear that. But actually putting others first before what we fit into our own diaries and our own calendars. Being generous with our time so that when somebody phones me up and my plan is to do X, Y and Z and I get that phone call and it shifts everything and I get to the end of the day and I've done nothing that I planned and yet I needed to be with that person. I know I've done the right thing. 
But when I initially get that phone call, that's not what I'm thinking. How can I consider greater generosity with my time? Do I look at where am I spending my time? Actually being strategic and saying, am I spending my time in the right places? What about our support, emotional and pastoral? What would it take for us to be more generous with that? And I wonder whether that's about us becoming more vulnerable ourselves, becoming more open, putting down some of the barriers that maybe we have built up around ourselves so that others feel free to come and talk to us and share their own vulnerabilities. Because if we look completely sorted, not many people are going to come and say, I'm not feeling very sorted. How can we be more generous in the support that we offer? And what about being generous with encouragement and affirmation? You know that teachers are encouraged to say 15 good things and one negative thing. And even in that moment, the one negative thing will be what the child remembers when they go home. How much do we need to flood people with encouragement and affirmation in order to build self-esteem, self-confidence, belief in who they are and belief in who God has made them to be? How do we be generous in being encouragers? Barnabas in the New Testament was a great encourager. I'd love us to be a church of encouragers. And what about our homes and our hospitality? I struggle with this. I only really want to open my door and let people in if I've tidied up. Being generous means that I open my door regardless of the mess in my house. Because I want to be with people and I shouldn't worry what they think about. And I can see them looking around. And I shouldn't apologise either and say, oh, I haven't had time. Because that's not what it's about and yet so often that is what it is about. How do I be generous with my home and in offering hospitality? Because we have a God who is generous to us. And we become like Jesus and so our lives reveal more and more of that. And if we live as Jesus, we too will be displaying those signs, those clues. Not everybody who sees us will understand the heart and the motive of where that comes from. But some will. As Jesus lived, not everybody saw who he was. But many did. And if our lives are more as Jesus and we are instinctively showering our world with generosity, the clues are there, the signs are there for those who choose to see. And many will. And through the way we live, many will come to know Jesus for themselves. Let us pray. Almighty God, you showed us through the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, that you are willing to do something different for the sake of generosity. Please give us hearts of compassion like yours and help us to be alert to those in need of your transforming love. Help us to be ready to be changed ourselves as we reach out to others. Show us ways to restore our relationships, our community and our world. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.